Hello and welcome to the King Hero IndyCar Podcast with Kirby and Justin. Kirby, you okay? I'm doing all right, Justin. How about yourself? <laughs> all right. I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, it's first show in a while. You aren't rushing off to some other responsibility, so. That's true. Settle in. So let's just dive into all things IndyCar. All right. Did, did you notice that the F1 drivers are complaining against about the Aston Martin safety car? No, I did not pay attention to uh, the Melbourne race. It's so funny. So there, there's two different safety cars. I guess they alternate or something like that during F1. One's a Mercedes, right? And one's yeah. an Aston Martin. They're deeply complaining about the Aston Martin. I mean, like publicly complaining about the Aston Martin being too slow. So they can't keep their tires warm enough. Yeah. So, you know, F1's like trying to cover. I mean, he obviously Aston Martin being a huge participant in all this. And uh, you got the drivers out there complaining about how slow the car is. If you are Stroll, Mr. Stroll, how upset would you be that you A, bought this car brand be you know are spending an enormous amount of money on a f1 team and the other drivers are slagging off on your main brand of of car it it would have to be you'd have to be going out of your mind um yeah um are they right though i mean is there some yeah i think there's validity to it but i mean bringing it back to indy cars we always do curb you would never see that happening in the indy car world would you was well, about 50 miles an hour under the pace car anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. But you, you would never hear uh, any car driver saying, "You know that Honda, you know, safety car is way too slow." <laughs> you know, it would just never happen. But in Formula One, man, I, it's, I, you just get the feeling like people get invested in it, and this like, what the hell did I just do? Uh, well, given the amounts of money, yeah, I mean, I can't. It'd be so easy to um, have your investment belittled in, in formula one you have to have a thick skin um I mean, i'm sure mr stroll does and, uh, i mean lawrence stroll has a thick skin but you you almost get the impression he's already getting tired of it uh that f1 race in melbourne by the way was a real snoozer it was kind of back to the old days and at the moment i, I realize we're only a few races in and there's a lot they have a lot of races left you, you can see a scenario where leclerc ends up running away with this thing a la hamilton you know, the last seven years, right? Like, even though they've done all these things to kind of improve the racing, one one team Ferrari may end up, you know, miles ahead of all of them. Well, would it be any different if uh, Verstappen could finish a race? Well, I mean, that's it. I mean, the Honda Red Bull engine, whatever you want to call it, the former Honda, now Red Bull engine was more reliable. I mean, they, you know, Verstappen would be right in there swinging with them. But, you know, each each failure uh, you know, puts them kind of in a point where it gets harder and harder to return. So we'll see. I know you're on the edge of your seat, Curb. So, Curb, uh, what's the next one? Uh, Miami? I think so. I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I think so. The Crypto.com in Miami. So, May 6th. So. They're going three weeks without a race? Taking a page out of the IndyCar playbook, huh? Yeah, but you have to marvel at the logistics in no, F1. I that, no, I know. That would be a better than Drive to Survive is this year, in my opinion. It's uh, moving stuff around. F1. Yeah. That would be a fascinating, you know, series. Right. No, that's right. They should do a whole episode on that if they were smart. I shouldn't say that. I guess they're smart because they're they're winning and we're not. But um, I'm sure they could make a compelling episode out of just moving the F1 circus around the world. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm going to stick with Formula One because I can't get enough of it. Um, yeah. Uh, I was reading an article about the Las Vegas race, 
in that article, they said that Formula One was hoping to get up to four races in America in the United States after the current, I think it was a Concord agreement, expires because it must limit the series to 24 races a year or something like that. And they had plans for the next agreement to put on as many as 30 at Formula One Grand Prix per year, including four in the United States. Isn't that mind-boggling? Can you imagine? <laughs> the cost, the expense, the wear and tear on people and machine. I mean, it just would be, you know, you'd, you'd almost have to have two complete crews, wouldn't you? Probably more. Robin Miller, RIP, was the man to write that article. <laughs> that would have been, he would have been, that would have been made just for him. Yeah, but, uh, but uh, it, it is it is extraordinary. But I also probably it speaks to the need to get uh, the return on their investment. I mean, they spent a fortune for that thing, right? So I kind of sure. get it. Yeah, and like I said, this this series, this season of Drive to Survive, just kind of put me in a place where I can't help but feel like this resurgence in popularity is going to retract a bit. It almost has to, doesn't it? I wonder how much longer, you know, that's going to maintain its uh, luster as well. Because I think there's, you can only write the same story so many different ways. Well, I think I saw that uh, it was even scoring poorly on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, really? Um, Sorry, Curb, got to pet a cat here. There she is. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, he's sorry I said that. But my, my cat is cooler. Curb, let's uh, we, we've we've taunted enough about F1. Um, let's get straight into Long Beach. Pretty good race, I thought. Or do or you know, speaking of Long Beach, uh, Queen Mary was docked there at one time, or is it still docked there? I think it's gone now, right? No, it was still there in the background. Still the there bay. in the background. Okay. Yeah. I watched. Um, you know how sometimes you're in a remote hotel room in the middle of nowhere and you just turn on the, you never watch TV normally, but you just turn it on because you're there. No, but I'll take your word for it. Okay, well that happened to me last night. So I watched Titanic. Oh yeah. Speaking of the Queen Mary, um, I realized it was ahead of its time, but now like it's interesting. I'm not going to slag off on the movie because I think that'd be easy to do in the context of today, and there are some good things about it, but there's a lot bad about it, including some horrendous acting, I might add. I'm going to choose to remember it fondly and uh, and keep moving on. Yeah, yeah, it's such a period piece. You know, like the CGI, he like has these kind of indulgent CB, CGI shots at the beginning, you know, which now just look terrible. It looks like really low budget CGI. But back then, of course, it was great. But so you, you, know, like, you like to go back and uh, rag on the original Star Wars movies, too. No, no, and, and that's so. Uh, that's what I'm, saying. I'm not going to tear the thing apart because there are some things that are good about it. Like, for example, I think historically it's somewhat accurate, so it kind of teaches you a few things about what's going on there, right? Right. Um, so it's not all bad. It suffers from, you know, like there's Enya music throughout it and stuff. It it just suffers from <laughs> a lot of 80s that you know is now looks extremely dated. I'm sure it was on because uh, the anniversary was, I think, Thursday night, Friday morning. Of, uh, of that event. Well, it was on VH1, too, so I didn't even get to see the uh, good parts, if you know what I mean. Uh, well, then no wonder you're so unhappy with it. <laughs> Very upsetting. Uh, Long Beach, Curb. Long Beach. Do you think it's possible that they could find the sealant they put on the streets of Long Beach 
and just put that on the Texas uh, Motor Speedway? I, I have heard that suggested. I don't know um, they'd be brave enough to do that, but it sure had a, a nice effect for the, the uh, Long Beach race, didn't it? Or frankly, any race. I mean, I, I hope somebody's looking at that saying, you know, <laughs> that might work. <laughs> I don't know that they had a problem to be solved at Long Beach uh, going into the race, and I don't know that they have problems to solve too many other places besides uh, Texas. So, uh, Well, what, what about Laguna Seca? Did you know that uh, Laguna Seca is the most expensive ticket in the whole um, – I mean, I'm going to leave the Indy 500 out, but the most expensive ticket in, the, in, like in all the series. Well, don't they pay the highest uh, sanctioning fee? Yeah, and have the smallest crowd. That's why they need every dollar per ticket they can get, I guess. Well, that's a good way to assure your crowd <laughs> remains small, I think. Kurt, does IndyCar have a new elf? Do you know who I'm yeah, talking about? I, I think I do. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the new elf would be... Oh, this one's an easy one. Uh, you're you're going to have to help me. Devlin DeFrancesco. Being I... interviewed by somebody. And and I, I don't remember the guy who was doing the interview, but he was not, in my opinion, a particularly tall person. It's not like they got they, that got that seven footer they stick at at the SRX, right? Right, right. No. Defresco yeah. <laughs> still coming up to his belly button. It was unbelievable. Yeah, he he was he is definitely diminutive. I wonder if he's going to have the same uh, problems Mr. Veach did, who you know ultimately confessed he couldn't handle the car. Mr. Veach confessed he couldn't handle the car. Yeah, so it's too. It's, he was not strong enough to handle the car. I, I'd never heard that uh, quote. So the Francesco seems a bit uh, stockier than Beach ever got. Yeah. Maybe he's plenty strong. You know, certainly he's not the most popular driver out there at the moment. He didn't hurt anybody this week. He just, like many drivers, had a spin and uh, and made some contact with the wall. I heard somebody say they think just about every car on the grid touched the wall at some point during the weekend because the speeds were so fast. I, well, give, the guy, I give the guy the benefit of the doubt for Long Beach anyway. Did you notice, Curb, as I did, that the Chevys seem to be kind of pulling away on the Hondas in the straight? Well, that's what Grosjean said after the race. I noticed it as I was watching the race. I guess where you might have, I might have noticed it was um, when Newgarden was having those battles with Palau on the restarts. I think Chevys found something. And that could end up being the story of the year. Well, they stole a, they stole they stole a guy from Honda, didn't they? They're from a Honda. Yeah, they team. did. Yeah, Gosling. Gosling. Yeah. yeah, Ryan Hunter Ray's former engineer. Yeah, I maybe that was the greatest hire ever. If I remember right, somebody said they've also given the drivers more options that they're more flexible this year in in what they're offering to the drivers and and letting them make choices rather than kind of dictating, hey, this is the way it's going to be. Given the knuckleheads that some of those drivers are, I wouldn't let them get anywhere near an engine map. <laughs> well, here's five maps. Choose the one you want as well. Yeah. I mean, Pagano maybe, you know, but the rest of them, Bourdais maybe, you know, but the rest of them, I don't know about that. Curb, did you also notice, as I did, that the crowd did not seem to be as good as it was in the fall? Well, there were some overhead shots that uh, showed some empty stands, but – they're claiming that they uh, had their highest turnout in a long time, over Not over 180,000. More than the, September. Yeah. Hmm. Where'd you see that? I might have heard it on the uh, Trackside podcast, or yeah, I think that's so. fake news. Jim McCallion was very happy. Yeah, and uh, there are 30,000 people at Texas. I don't. I don't think anybody's going to equate Jim McCallion and um, and Eddie Gossage. So. Promoter's a promoter. I don't care who you are. What's happened to Will Power? Mr. Mellow and happy, just happy to get a points-paying finish all the time now. I think that, uh, A, he accepts reality. 
maybe a little bit better than he did before. Uh, if he doesn't have it, he doesn't have it, and he doesn't throw it away. And B, you know, three races is not a season to make. So I'm not, I would knock on wood very hard when I say Wow, you remain a skeptic, but I've seen a fundamental change in that individual. So. Curb, um, you and I, or particularly you, are always allured to the new shiny thing. Okay. And team owners and so forth, same thing. They're all obsessed over the fast little bunny. But, you know, the, the reality is Colton Herta is still making early in career errors, which he repeated in Long Beach to the same degree. You kind of see the same out of award. And then you see, you know, guys that are experienced power, if you will, at Dixon, if you will, still hanging in there. Maybe not as fast as they once were, but it seems to me that experience still counts in racing. Right. What's the you? Of course it counts. Fast car probably counts more, but um, uh, you may have had a young driver in Alex Palau, but his team obviously made some very smart strategy calls. I have a theory. Okay, let's hear it. Once you start talking about going to F1, you start driving like crap. <laughs> Pato, Pato certainly came off a successful year last year with uh, visions in his head that seemingly have pulled his focus away from his current situation. I don't think there's... It's very easy to uh, make that correlation uh, from the outside. I'm sure he would say that's not true. But um, okay, well, there's one. There's one point of data. Okay, number two point of data: Colton Herta. It's not well, exactly lighting it up, and and you know visions of F1 in his head. And so you would say those visions started before Nashville last year. I'm sure the conversations were going on at that point in the season. No, I'm not going to say that. But I. I I do think it's a it's more distraction than their young heads are acknowledging. You know, I watched Pato this year, and you kind of listen to his comments, and and I, and I understand he's upset with his contract and all that, which I guess we'll get to at some point. But at the end of the day, he's kind of talking like the hottest thing going in IndyCar right now, and he's just biding his time to F1. But you know, right now he's had one decent race, and the rest has been not great, and none of it is wowing me. No, and even last year. Um... He obviously had some uh, wow moments and finished very respectfully in the standings, but was also very inconsistent. You know, I don't think that that impresses the typical Formula One team owner. You know, Zach Brown certainly had fun challenging him to win a race and giving him an F1 test, but Zach Brown's pretty sharp. I don't think he's convinced uh, yet that Pato Award's shown the consistency to be a successful Formula One driver. I agree. I think like when Herta does what he did in Long Beach, that doesn't help his case either. No, no. I mean, that's twice in less than a year, right? And then and that makes you just start looking at all the other times when he's had good, uh, great cars and their team hasn't been able to close the deal. Now, a lot of times you can blame the team, but it's still going to reflect on the driver a little bit and probably enough to say, I'll just stick with Oscar Piastri over here and not bother with, with Colton Herta, right? I, I, exactly. Thank you for eloquently making the, what was exactly in my head, the point that was exactly in my head. Is the hamburger and taco show dead, Curb? Yeah, I mean, I, it's a, a moth to the flame. I can't help myself uh, watching them usually, <laughs> but um, uh, but yeah, it's uh, you know the hamburger and Kirkwood show, whatever they call Kirkwood, um, might have been a little better and more entertaining. You know, the French fry was there and didn't even get a shot at it. Apparently, he's off the Christmas card list. His race is over. Maybe he'd already headed out of town. Maybe he wasn't sticking around for that ten-minute snippet of fun. Were you of the same feeling I was that was extremely disappointed not to see Bourdais driving Jimmy Johnson's car on the Long Beach Grand Prix? No, I was very happy to see Jimmy Johnson make it through the weekend. You're kidding me. Really? Yeah. Why not? Because Bourdais would have done so much better for a start. (laughs) 
Look, I, I'd love to see a Bourdais out there, but uh, Johnson was all right. He's no prima donna. He can take a look. Maybe he was all right. He, he wrecked almost every session. Well, yeah, but he wasn't out there just stroking it along. He was pushing and pushing and did okay. Wow. So I'm going to put you uh, – do you want to give him an award for uh, his Long Beach performance curb? Did you think it was that good? Look, I'm not saying that he uh, had a successful weekend. I'm just I noted that, that one of the uh, I noted that one of these you know uh, pontificators on Twitter uh, awarded uh, Tatia Calderon the Hard Charger Award for coming in 16th. Hey, she gained 10, 10 places. Yeah, was there anybody she passed? You just want to give an award to everybody. You want to give an award to Jimmy Johnson because he he was on the track apparently. Now you want to give Tatia Calderon and you want to co co award her Hard Charger Award for 16th for passing no one. I mean, we got to stop. Making apologies for their people. Look, I didn't watch Calderon's race. All I know is she finished 16th, <laughs> one lap down, and gained 10 spots. She didn't spin the car. She didn't hit the wall on the hairpin just going around the turn. She didn't make all those mistakes that other people made. And I am, I'm not glorifying her, but I'm saying that she gained 10 spots and must have handled herself okay. Charging, do you think she was charging hard? No, I am not being overly complimentary as some other pundits are whenever they talk about her or Beth Peretta or Simona Di Silvestro, but just acknowledging that she kept her nose clean and and, uh, made it to the end. And I am not trying to slag off on her performance, but I do not think it was award worthy. Most of the time, these hard charger awards are simply how many places did you move forward? She moved up 10, same as Dixon. And, uh, the quality of those 10 spots may uh, be divergent, but um, 10 spots is 10 spots. I mean, if you want me to break the tide, give it to Dixon. I'll, I'll acknowledge that. Oh, but, wow. Uh, what, a, what a big concession there. Hell, Jimmy Johnson even gained five spots. Yeah, so. of course. Curb, the big news uh, the last few days, it's been reported that uh, Alexander Rossi is headed to McLaren. Reported and equally refuted, or at least yes. pushed back against. It was an AP source, which is kind of strange. That is such believable smoke that you got to assume there's some fire there. I kind of find it hard to think that would be where he'd like to go. But as we talked about before, he may not have many options. Another yeah. not great race in Long Beach for both him and his team. Slow pit stops on both of his pit stops and lost positions each time. At the same time, I don't see that he did a lot to make up for those lost spots. And he was not able to overcome the mistakes his team made in in pit lane. So once again, I'm not down on him. He's not making himself stand out either and make people jump up and down and want him. Maybe it could be a matter of, uh, I'm going to grab this opportunity while it's here in case nothing else shows up. Timing of it is is right because he'd probably want to get something done sooner rather than later on the basis of the way the season's starting to look again for him. Mm-hmm. Um, Clarence been pretty clear they are going to three cars. They may have two or three positions open uh, for those three cars, although I think awards contracted through 24, so he's not going anywhere. We'll see what happens with Rosenquist, but there could be as many two uh, drivers they got to fill there, so you know, getting one out of the way probably wouldn't be terrible for them either. No, I agree. Rossi, probably award, and maybe some other Euro driver, right? Curb. Is Mr. Penske correct? I think you and I have been lamenting, not lamenting, but I, I kind of observing that both Formula One and NASCAR seem to be getting a bit of the leg up on uh, IndyCar as of late. NASCAR's intrusion into IndyCar domains, F1's uh, growing popularity, and 
also intrusion into you know some of that, you know IndyCar's domains and and uh, you know certainly coming to the states and and being very popular. Is Mr. Penske right in saying what dif- differentiates IndyCar from Formula One and is the fact that they race on ovals? Is well, that an, is that an important distinguishing characteristic? Does it really matter in terms of the success of the business model? I think the diversity of tracks certainly differentiates him from anybody else. He's an old timer, obviously in age, but and he certainly is a uh, an Indy 500, you know, devoted to the Indy 500 and that style of racing. So ovals come naturally to him, but he's he was a sports car racer himself in the 60s. He's not, you know, um, an IRL wannabe kind of guy that uh, is ovals are to bust actually considered what he said and thought about it a bit. And I I really feel like he's right. That is a a path that IndyCar can take. Think about the heydays. You know, we always talk about the heydays, right? Well, the hey, one of the factors that we never talk about the heydays is, is that the ovals were packed, right? They went and they filled up Milwaukee. They went and they filled up Michigan or mostly most of Michigan. You know, they went and filled up uh, Fontana and Phoenix, and I think that's probably an aspect of the of the golden era that you and I don't talk about so much. That's something, you know, Formula of One's never going to go race in an oval. Okay, I think I can safely say that. If they could get start getting a decent con, uh, contingent of ovals that people attended, I think it maybe is the path for the series. It maybe is the most important thing for them to get right. And if they do that, then they've got their own identity. They, and that's important because right now it's like, Formula One light at best. You put these races on and you live with smaller crowds and you hope that organically you year by year gain a little, gain a little, gain a little. I guess the point I'm trying to make is that I think he's on to something. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I mean, we could get into how they do it and if he can do it. I mean, if they can achieve very strong ovals program, five or six ovals that are strong and strongly attended, I think that could be uh, the fix for a lot of what ails IndyCar. I really do. Because it's always going to be like, what's IndyCar again? Is that like Formula One? That's going to be the thing that really sets them apart. You know, what sets IndyCar apart is the Indy 500. If the, if the Indy 500 is going to be what sets you apart and is going to be your bellwether, then you need to have ovals on your series that essentially support and, and extend the popularity of the 500 and IndyCar racing in general. The problem with a lot of street races, not many of them have the longevity of a Long Beach or a uh even toronto you know they they lose a political will within the city they just aren't profitable or heaven forbid um development destroys the track right i mean it's you've seen them all come and go for all sorts of reasons like those and so the one thing about an oval is it ain't going anywhere as long as it can hold a few successful events a year you know i think the other thing that penske said which i found more you know i appreciated more was he finally got off of that 17 number and said we could go up to as many as 20 races. Yeah, I agree with that. Play. I mean, I, I feel like it's been forever since we've, you know, even talked about IndyCar on this podcast. You know, we got two weeks to go to another race yet. Three weeks between the first four races of the season just is not, I don't think, a great idea. I don't think it's ideal for anybody. Kerb, did you happen to note the plight of a certain Artem Severukin? No. He's a Russian cart driver in the European Junior Cart Series. Any of this ringing a bell to you? Nope. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure you'll bring us an IndyCar connection here sooner or later. <laughs> I hope not in this case. Okay. All right. I think it does speak to 
the current overall political climate in our world at this point. And I've seen the video, and I encourage you to go look at it. Young Artem, and by young, I mean he's young. He looks like he's 10, and I think maybe he's 15. He has found himself uh, completely banned uh, from racing. He's got some major problems ahead of him uh, as far as like his sports licensing, sports license and all that goes. Um, he gets up on uh, the podium. I, I, th- I believe he won. And I, like I said, I encourage you to go look at the video. He is accused of doing the Nazi salute on the podium. And and he has just been savaged over this. Now, I watched the video. And knowing what you know, it's about, OK, I can kind of see it. OK. To be clear, if the kid knew what he was doing, knew exactly what he was doing, if he indeed was doing a Nazi salute. He deserves everything that's coming to him. But to me, it's almost like he kind of just thumped his chest and then waved at somebody. And then I was thinking about, you know, the kid's 15, right? And if he's racing at the level, he's probably been in a cart since he was three. And maybe not so much school, you know? Would he... And maybe this is unfair to the Russian school system or wherever he went to school. Would he even know what a Nazi salute is? He's 15. What they teach over there uh, in Europe might be different than what they teach here, so I couldn't speak to that. Well, they actually teach things. (laughs) (laughs) That's one difference. Well, I'm saying that. As I I tried to get my young son to calculate the tip the other day, um, my – my faith in the public school system diminished significantly. Well, we don't even get me started on that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I'm just saying, if you're over there next to Germany, uh, went through what Russia went through at the hands of Germany in World War II, then it might be a more prominent part of your schooling than it is over here at earlier ages. You are being overly generous with uh, everybody today, Curb. It's, tolerance is my middle name. Apparently. Yeah, I got it here. I just, I mean, I, but anyway, um, that would be my answer to your question. Here's a, let, me, let me find. I'm gonna. I want you to find that video. I want you to see it. So he like did the two. He pounded his chest twice, like often many people do, and instead of then pointing, his hand kind of went out flat, and then he starts laughing his head off um, after he did that. So it almost looked to me like some sort of uh, inside joke with whoever he was looking at. Correct. So you've seen it now. I just saw it. Kind of like your uh, uh, uteristic um, celebration. Faux pas in grade school. So. Um, yeah, and maybe Kirby, maybe you uh, nailed it there. Maybe it's it's that's why I'm having some empathy. There you go. <laughs> Probably. You know, there so I am. I'll go. I'll young, go back to our youth. Young stumbling, you know, kid up there in front of the whole church, you know, just play, trying play to say you. Just trying to say Eucharistic, and it came, comes out uterus. Yeah, <laughs> blame, blame it on your Catholic upbringing. Only to have, uh, only to be just pummeled by one of the uh, churchgoers. You were also part of that too, because you gave me the Nazi salute afterwards. No, yeah, well, I didn't give you the Nazi <laughs> salute, but I grinned or chuckled. You said good job, and, and <laughs> me and me and me and the eighth grade teacher, I would point out, also got a <laughs> chuckle out of it. <laughs> yeah, well, they're the only ones. 
<laughs> I'm the one who ended up in front of Monsignor Ross explaining myself. <laughs> you know. Well, since I was since I was back there uh, behind the altar with him, I got a front row, <laughs> front row view. <laughs> oh my. Oh my. But I thought he handled it pretty well though. You gotta give him credit. No, he <laughs> he was the kindest I ever seen him. Let's put it that way. He was right. he, to you know, he 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 saw my pain. Right. He saw my pain. He saw my pain. Uh Curb, anything you wanna blurt out now, uh as we, we do even uh, well, I mean, we kind of glossed over the Long Beach Grand Prix. How did you feel about the race? Uh, it was a good race. I mean, uh, the first part was boring. Second half was good. I mean, um, again, I don't think you can manage races to where they're all exciting, but it was a good race, and uh, it did get interesting at the end. And I mean, I would just say classic IndyCar race. They seemed to um, get a little creative with how they handled the yellow flags during that event. What do you think of that? I, I can only think of one particular instance where they let everybody get in the pits before they closed them. Or am I, am uh, I, can, am I confusing no, that? Well, with the I, I think, the, I think I I'm think confusing the, that with the formula one race. When, when Herta wrecked in particular and Palau had already pitted and a number of other people had pitted, but people like new garden and other front runners had not. And I immediately you know, said to my wife, Hey, those guys are screwed. Their race is over now. And they never threw the yellow flag. And I read later that they just did a local yellow as long as it took for them to pick up the parts that were on the track. And and I never even saw that during the broadcast. And then later in the race, I think when Sato wrecked and it was at the end and they let him go green until they were about two corners away from where Sato was. Correct. Right. They waited less. And, okay. So. And, and uh, yeah, other places where they just were in the past, you would have expected a yellow. And now uh, they seem to be doing their best to avoid yellows. Uh, so good on IndyCar. Uh, you know, I agree with you now. Now, thank you for reminding me of those. Yes. Excellent job. That's exactly, that's exactly what they should do because that whole business about the danger zone and stuff is, it makes for a stupid race. I'm a fan of non-random results, which sometimes throwing those yellow results in. Right. Thumbs up from curve for the race. Wow. Two thumbs up from Justin Kirby. All right, curb. I think that does it. And we everybody can go on with their lives. Uh, they probably already have, but um, if anybody's still around listening, uh, thanks for spending some time with us and uh, enjoy the week ahead. We'll be back to preview Barber, I assume. Yeah, maybe uh, next time I'll I'll uh, review Avatar. Yeah, why don't you, <laughs> why don't you uh, watch a few more '90s uh, flicks and uh, tell us how they held up over the last 20 years? I will do so. But uh, do we have? Do we still have a Twitter account? Porkies, maybe? Review Porkies? It's on Netflix now. Now you're going back to the 80s, and uh, I think that's timeless. There's all the CGI involved there. So. <laughs> no, there, no, there isn't. Um, sponsors, South Street Diner, Boston, Massachusetts. Mention this podcast to the owner, Saul, and you will get a generous discount. Twitter. Twitter. Thank you, Curb. Yeah. At Hero, H-I-R-O, IndyCar. At Hero, IndyCar. For God's sake, follow us. And that's it. Good night, everybody. Take care.